Hi, season two of Podcast Book Club is on its way, and we've been working hard on bringing you an even better show. In the meantime, here's a bonus episode to bridge the gap. This is our pilot episode, and as a result, the audio quality isn't amazing. It was more of a proof of concept than anything else. But the show we're talking about, Blowback, is amazing. And it was a really interesting conversation about why we love it so much. So please excuse our echoey audio, and we'll be back soon with a brand new season of Podcast Book Club. On with the show. Welcome to the Podcast Book Club from Lower Street Media, where we look at what makes great podcasts so, well, great. Our day job is making podcasts, but we're also fans of the medium, and I think it can be really useful to dig into what makes the shows we love so good. Today, we're talking about Blowback, a serial podcast about the many misadventures of US foreign policy and empire building. It's hosted by Brendan James and Noah Culwin. It's a documentary, but it definitely has a specific viewpoint on the events it covers. Now, there are 20 episodes of Blowback out there, and they each run for around an hour. So we're just going to talk about episode one of the first series, which covers the Iraq War. The second series covers Cuba, and the third, Korea. I'm Alex. I'm the senior audio engineer at Lower Street. I spend most of my time doing editing, mixing, sound design, etc. It's my turn to host, and I chose the podcast we'll be discussing. I'm not alone. I have a coalition of the willing with me. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves, starting with Jackie. My name is Jackie. I am a producer at Lower Street. And Elise. Hey y'all, uh, my name is Elise and I am also a producer here at Lower Street. So let's get started with some broad thoughts on the episode. Jackie, you're up first. So my first thought, it was just like, wow, this is so cool to listen to. And obviously that has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about, which is the audio, the use of audio in this. Um, any show about historical documentation, you're going to have a lot of really great, rich audio. But I also think they went above and beyond and, and grabbed tons of different clips and music. And uh, it just like, it made something that could have been like a textbook lecture in a university class where you're struggling to keep your eyes open. It made it super, super fun to listen to. And every part, like there's one specific part where they said hard cut, and then they did a hard cut. And I just, they brought some music in. I just thought it was, it was so fun. Hard cut, October 7th, 1959. You have a dashing. Let's just be honest. We've seen the photos from him. He's in the, hot. In the books. He's looking good. In he looks image. really good. A dashing young Saddam Hussein. Who you know, is. very rarely do I turn on a podcast and the audio does backflips in my mind and I stop doing whatever it is that I'm doing to pay attention further and either go back. And I, I kind of cheated here. Uh, Alex had told all of us at one of our other readings about this podcast before and I made the mistake of listening to one. So I listened to almost the entire thing in one sitting, which I don't know if I recommend listening to anything about the Iraq war or American imperialism for like 10 hours straight. But that is what this podcast will do to you. You know, and to echo what Jackie's saying, it was it's such incredible, effective use of um, of sound and of music. And it really puts you in time and place in a way that the vast majority of historical podcasts, I don't think they do. So using those historical clips and then uh, narration where they couldn't get the clips, I think is all really effective storytelling. 
It was also interesting too. Uh, you're saying like when they didn't have the clips, they, they still did it with narration. But there was the one part where they had like a clip from Winston Churchill, and then they wanted to do another quote, but they didn't have a clip. And they played this like old timey music, and I, I'm just like watching it in my head. I could picture Winston Churchill on like a black and white film because everybody knows that you know the before times were all black and white. I am strongly in favor of using poison gas against uncivilized tribes. Gases can be used which cause great inconvenience and would spread a lively terror. Whew. So my my initials or broad thoughts are basically the same. One thing I'd add is I think they do as good a job as I could imagine them doing with tackling all of the different names and places and timelines. It's something that I listened to it twice now because I went back and listened to the first episode for this chat and it felt as though I was learning some things for the first time, even though obviously I'd heard them before because there are large swathes of the episode where there's just so much going on. But it does feel coherent despite all of the stuff they're trying to cram in. Let's see here. You have the U.S. giving Iraq intelligence and arms and chemical weapons so they can fight their enemy, Iran. Then you have Iran-Contra, where we sell Iran arms so we can use the money to fund right-wing death squads in Nicaragua. Then our ally, Israel, bombs Iraq to destroy their nuclear but capabilities. But then we also but give Iran also the intelligence. So I think it'd be good to talk about some specific aspects of the show. And you guys have brought it up already, and I wanted to talk about it as well, is the use of sound from lots of different sources. So there's audio from television shows, movies, there's archive audio, there's music. And for me, I think it works exceptionally well. And something for you guys as producers, I thought that I had in my head the whole time was how much of this is cleared above the board licensed audio and how much of this is just being a bit scrappy and taking what you can get. Probably that. (laughs) (laughs) I've been in like broadcast radio. I've been in like in small independent news podcasting. And every time I feel like the standard is to just kind of like go for it and then see what happens. And usually it's fine, especially because copyright laws are so vague. And for the most part, you're using it correctly. It's just like you're kind of also taking that gamble at the same time. Spoken like a true non-American. As an American, having worked in the newsroom, I'll just double check and make sure. But I do think uh, you're right that it's uh, like the sound is so well applied, and it's not you know unless you're someone who's like I really love, I really love Saddam. I'm gonna take this to court. (laughs) This is slander. (laughs) One of the interesting things, and Jackie, you mentioned this with the Winston Churchill thing, is finding a balance for using this many different sources. Of audio, one of the things I felt they did quite well was strike a balance between the two hosts, Brendan and Noah, talking and using external sound clips. Because from my point of view, doing post-production, one of my first inclinations would be to just plaster the whole thing thoroughly with as much interesting audio as I could find. That's interesting because I think, yeah, if you go that far, you have to be intentional about it. I'm thinking Bill Wirtz, <laughs> any of his videos are just plastered with audio and just random stuff. But yeah, if you're if you're not doing it intentionally, it definitely starts to feel like uh, an audio scrapbook that uh, is very hard to pay attention to. 
Yeah, I think it's really easy to tell too, like when you're looking, when you're listening to that episode is really seeing how they develop the script as well. Like taking that narrative and the answer, the questions that they wanted to answer, doing that very thoroughly and then very intentionally choosing bits of audio to supplement where they could have been talking or using pieces of audio to more thoroughly illustrate a point as opposed to just a random spattering of, well, this sounds cool. Let's see how we can tie them together. Um, so yeah, you can absolutely hear the the intentionality and the depth of scripting and the number of times they must have had to re-record to make it sound as natural as it, as it does. Well, see, that's an interesting point, actually, because I totally agree on there must have been so much thought that went into it. But to my ears, the editing of the two guys talking is almost like borderline breathless. I think there's kind of like a scrappy quality to it, which in some ways makes the show more interesting. But in others, you get the feeling that they are just chucking as much information as they can in those sections as possible. Well, it could be too that like they're so familiar with the topic, having done all of that research on their own, that they can kind of shoot from the hip and know that they're hitting all the points because it's not like it's a voice actor coming in and like being familiar with this information for the very first time. Like they know it front and back and they know exactly where they're going. That's actually uh, something that I had written down when I was listening to it. Is really like I really love that talk style of storytelling. I do think it's intentional in that way too because I listen to I've listened to a lot of other podcasts where it's pretty similar and it's it's mixing that this is a lecture but this is also a conversation and you're learning something about it. I mean, I think the most famous one that people would recognize is stuff you should know where they're kind of having this conversation but you know that they have all of this like completely planned out and they know all the information that they want to share. They're just sharing it with you in a way that makes you feel like you're in a room listening to these incredibly intelligent people who for some reason know all of this information and want to share it with you. <laughs> I think one of the things that really helps with it as well is they lay everything out for you right in the beginning of the episode. So it's not like they just start you off on this journey and you're like, have this sound, have this information. And they tell you like, these are the big questions that we're setting out to answer over the next 10 hours, come on this journey with us. So it's really an invitation to have a conversation with you as opposed to just let me tell you some stuff that I know. That was my, that was actually my favorite thing right off the bat was that they said, hey, this is what you're going to learn. And then it was like such an effective intro that I was like, okay, let me learn it. And then when they got to the introduction of the hosts and then, you know, they, they kind of talk more about their ideas and it's like more low key way. I was like, yeah, I'm sold already. I'm already convinced that you're going to deliver. So I'm okay with this being a little bit more quiet. It's the Kurt Vonnegut method of tell everything that you're going, to, that's going to happen in the story as soon as you can. How exactly did Rumsfeld get from his coffee with Nixon in 1971 to his his consultation with Saddam in 1983 to his showdown with Saddam in 2003. That story is part of a much bigger one, namely, how and why did Saddam ever get to be a friend and ally of America, only for us to then nominate him as global supervillain? It kind of raises an interesting point about doing something factual that is more for entertainment than it is for, like, nourishment. It's like the, the reverse of the BBC's founding principles of educate, inform, entertain. It's like the other way around. Which is kind of how it needs to be, right? Like the more crowded the space gets, you need to be able to make like, yes, it should always add value. It should always be informative, but entertainment should be the very first thing. What is it? Gary Vio says like to hold someone's attention is like the most important thing that you can do in any form of marketing. So and no matter what you're doing, you're marketing. So you might as well make it entertaining. And then you could have a good time too. 
I mean, I would say that entertainment is probably more effective education anyway. Like we learn a lot from watching the people that we are entertained by or the shows that we're entertained by. How many people know a lot more about, you know, World War II from the History Channel than they do grade 10 history class? I hope that that doesn't speak anything about me. It's a pastime with my grandfather, okay? You can't make fun of me for it. <laughs> I think it's interesting how they say from the start, you know, in the show's descriptions, podcast about American empire, which in it, in of itself could be a provocative thing to say because, you know, America maintains it does not have an empire, but they have a point of view. And from my point of view, when I was listening to it, it didn't feel as though that took away from the content of the show, kind of enhanced it really you have to be confident in what you're saying. And yeah, like they are kind of honest about their bias a little bit, but when you're a little bit too focused on finding that middle ground, I feel like you lose the ability to tell compelling story. And also like the idea of a middle ground is kind of made up because that's assuming that each side is is equal right and wrong. And that's kind of just not right. <laughs> so yeah, I think it makes sense that they, they would be better if they were able to lean into their own thoughts a little bit more. And the thing, too, is that they're able to use actualities from people of that time and of that era. They're not being conspiratorial and saying, oh, can you imagine, like, this is what they said? It's like, no, no, this is actually exactly what Winston Churchill said. He said, bomb them. Like, let's gas them. It's super easy. That sounds great. Yes, it's their opinion, but also, yes, it's a direct, <laughs> like, it, yeah, it just doesn't feel conspiratorial at all. It doesn't feel like it's too left of center to be outrageous or, like, unlistenable. Yeah, it's it's a... When I worked in, in news radio in the past, I, I it was kind of like there were some more opinion shows. And one of the things that really bothered me was that sometimes people would craft a story and then find the facts to back it up, which is always going to be possible. There's like a wealth of information and whatever you want to back up, whatever is going to exist somewhere. So I think they did a good job, though, at finding the story after they brought the facts in. And there's lots of examples of like clips and stuff that just like perfectly proved that throughout. George H.W. Bush, who was on the campaign trail to run as Reagan's successor at the time, when he was approached about what had just happened, here was how he described his attitude on the, on the situation. Quote, I will never apologize for the United States. I don't care what the facts are. I wonder from you guys' perspective as producers, what you think when you look at something that's kind of this great big confection of a show with all these different elements. Because to me, I love listening to it, but it's like anxiety inducing to think about reverse engineering something like that. I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I love listening to it and I hear the structure in it and figuring out what elements seem really successful, like taking a through line of music and picking it up halfway through a dialogue and carrying it through an entire narration and then like fading it out. So it's like they're, with the exception of the few times where they do say like hard cut, you know, like it really isn't hard cuts, like it's all really cohesive. And like as a producer, like those are my favorite kinds of shows. It's like using that effective audio to be able to really like tell the story and kind of mold things together in that way. Granted, I don't know how they had the time to be able to do any of that or how long it took them to make. Can you bring them on? So we can talk to them about this because I have so many questions. But you know, from, from a production standpoint, uh, I love it. Throw me, throw me in the fire. Put me in a coach. I could take the pain. No, I'm with you, Alex. I love it. I absolutely love it. I would love to make something like it, but I listen to it and I'm just like, oh my gosh, there is so much going on here. There is so much work. I can't even imagine that audio file. 
As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a Bathurst. What did you guys think about having a sense of humour in something like this? I think it's really interesting and adds a kind of morbid layer to the whole thing, not necessarily in a bad way, whereby it's obvious that there's two people who are, in a way, having fun making something like this and joking amongst themselves, and it is on paper almost like offensively at odds with the content of the show but it felt as though it worked more often than it didn't yeah and that's the thing right is it like we are hit over the head day in and day out about like horribly tragic things happening in real time in our personal lives and globally right like just precedent times would be great but they're always unprecedented so here we are and so then to have to or to want to dedicate time to something important and historical, you know, meet your audience where where they are and and entertain them, get them to understand and absorb this information. Because I don't think anyone listening to this podcast would ever mistake it for something that's like light or humorous. The weight of every single thing that happened is so deeply ingrained in it that you cannot escape it. But to be able to use the humor as a vehicle to internalize it, I think makes it a, a really effective storytelling piece. And there's harmony in that antithesis there. I call this segment, um, what the Christ is wrong with the Kurds, Bob. <laughs> um, What's something that you feel as though you can take away from having listened to this episode? You first, Jackie. I think really it, it kind of reminds me of the, the practical uses of audio, whether or not it's like adding to the actual content or not. Sometimes like the, the clip itself isn't saying the same thing and that's moving the forward, the story forward. Sometimes though, it's just a clip of a TV show or sometimes it's just an audio clip of an explosion. And you're thinking, okay, well, that's not necessarily telling me anything, but it's creating that mood. It's creating that atmosphere and like the like reality of things. Like you're talking about bombs, but then to hear a bomb go off, it's different. And it just adds to the severity of the issue. So I think that, yeah, like that just like really, really intentional use of audio to support a general story and then make it not boring because it could just be, have been a lecture and you could have got the all the same information out. But really, it's just about how do you creatively use all of the pieces with the given medium that you have and create something that's just like you don't want to turn off. He said his dad saw a friend of his or an acquaintance of his at like the market one day back in the 60s. And the guy was like, uh, yeah, hey, I, I actually just joined the Bath Party. And, you know, these are people who are members of the ethnic minority. And so his dad was like, what What the fuck? Why would you do that? They're, they're Arab nationalists. They hate us. And he went, well, I did it because I'm getting a stipend from the CIA now. <laughs> so I think really what, what it speaks to for me is not being afraid to lean into your beliefs and your uh, personalities and really letting them shine through and authenticity in a way that um, it, it comes across again in every single layer of uh, from storytelling to choice of audio and they very much knew their audience so they're not trying to make this for somebody else like they're very intentional but also knew exactly who they're making this for and so in that regard their choices seem fairly succinct and so i think that's that's a key takeaway too it's like know your audience know yourself see where the two come together and run through a wall go straight forward I already made a Kurt Vonnegut reference but i have to do it again in his rules of writing one of his rules is that you write for with one person in particular in mind and uh, I think that that, like, I think about that all the time. And I think something that Harry, our CEO, says a lot is we want to make podcasts for, like, a hyper-specific group of people. And the more 
understanding you are of like who your audience is and who's actually going to be listening and you know you have that idea of the person on the other end i think the better the podcast is going to be people love that story <laughs> they never get sick of it so my key takeaway for me is kind of doing post-production editing and mixing and all that that scruffy is quite good actually sometimes the pauses don't all have to be natural the content doesn't always have to flow nicely from one piece to another the aim of the game can sometimes just be to make things snappy and exciting and rough i'm not convinced that that was always an intentional choice on their part but it still works so i think it's something to bear in mind that's just like that hard cut moment. You know, the fun thing too about that is uh, when you have those like very snappy kind of out of the, like not doesn't feel natural out of the way things is that it resets your attention like immediately. If you've listened, what do you, the listener, think about blowback? Let us know. You can berate me on Twitter at Bennett underscore FM double N double T. Hit follow in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and we'll see you in the next episode of Podcast Book Club with a new show and a new host. Bye.